This is William Brent Bell, director of The Boy and Orphan First Kill, and you're listening to Don't Go Out There podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to... The Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. I just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Super excited for this upcoming interview. We are joined today by yet another legend of the business, known for directing horror hits such as The Devil Inside, The Boy, and most recently, Orphan First Kill, now streaming on Paramount Plus, Mr. William Brent Bell. Mr. Bell, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today, sir? I am good. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Not too bad. <laughs> Thank you, Super excited for, the, for this interview, sir. I really appreciate your time. And, you know, we just like to start all of our interviews by really asking, what is it that got you into the business? Did you always think you'd be behind the camera? Sort of. You know, I was definitely like, I grew up with movies and um, like high school, especially. I, I mean, I didn't go. I pretty much skip school every day and made little movies to the point to where I got kicked out of high school. And, um, and so even though I didn't know I'd really be making movies, it's like anything we did that was like fun or scary or cool. It just, you know, it was always, Oh, that's going to be in the movie. That's going to be in the movie. <laughs> and, you know, and then years later, you know, making movies. So, uh, but after a while, yeah, I just, I was in Lexington, Kentucky. I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. And I uh, went to University of Kentucky and I just wanted, to, you know, I didn't know anybody out here and I, I didn't have any connections or, but um, I could tell that was the only thing that made me happy was, was the idea of making movies or being a part of it really, you know. Oh, that's awesome. So, I mean, you're for jumping right into it. I mean, your first film was the comedy, you know, Sparkle and Charm with Paul Francis and the amazing Clint Howard. Can, can you talk a little bit about that movie and, you know, kind of how it came to be? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, um, that was a kind of like a, a credit card movie. Really. It was our friends. Um, we made it, we prepped it out of our house and it's, it's kind of a sad story just because like we never really truly finished it. Um, we shot the whole thing in Vegas on 35 millimeter and, um, yeah, it was like I brought on Clint. We got Clint Howard. He wanted to do it. And then he brought his mother and father, who were on Howard's mother and father. Nice. And they took me to their house. Um, he's like, hey, maybe maybe my dad would be cool in this movie. And I didn't know who he was at the time. And um, and he was like, go meet my dad. And I went and met his dad. And I immediately, I don't know if you guys know who Ron Howard's dad is, but it's like you'd recognize him instantly. He's in Psycho. Right. He's been a million things. Oh, yeah. A million things. And I was like, oh, fuck, I know this guy. This guy is he'd be amazing in the movie. And then he was like, have you cast, his father was like, did you cast this one role, this old lady? Um, And I was like, no, I haven't cast that yet. He goes, well, why don't you come to the house and meet my wife? And then to the house where they grew up and met his wife. And it was crazy because it was just like sitting in their living room and very traditional old school family. And and underneath their television were like VHS tapes and crammed in the middle of all of them was like backdraft you know and um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but it was it was it was uh 
it was cool shooting that movie with, with those three people. It was just a bummer we never got to really finish it. It's what got me signed at ICM and kind of got a lot of things rolling, but uh, never really got finished. Wow, yeah. Well, that's a, that's awesome. Um, you know, so The Devil Inside, you know, it's become such an almost basically cult classic, and it's weird to use that term of the movie that's only 10 years old, but, you know, it just it has such a strong following. You know, you, you wrote that one as well as directed it. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, I mean, we um, when we, we finished making Stay Alive in um, New Orleans, and then, like, the next idea we had was, was Devil Inside, and um and so initially it was like you know it was like a 15 million dollar big it was a much more of a ensemble studio kind of horror film and um right and then it just kept stumbling and so we we talked you know we had this one friend of ours who was kept saying he wanted to finance a movie and um but he was like we have to do it a different way and we were like you know We'd have a con- we'd go and have a barbecue with him every week. And uh and he was like, Would you be interested in doing it, you know, like Blair Witch style, more of you know, with video cameras? And I was like, I don't know. Um and nobody had really done that. Cloverfield had been done, but nobody had done anything since Blair Witch quite like it. Right. And um and then I was like, I kind of was like, well, if I could figure out a way that we'd have multiple camera angles so there'd be something to cut, you know, um in the editing room. And um, and then it was like, yeah. And then right when we were prepping the movie and about ready to go shoot it, Paranormal Activity kicked off. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, found footage movies became this crazy thing. Right. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, we made that movie with Paramount, but, you know, we made it in our living rooms. Um, I edited the movie in my living, in my dining room on a laptop, you know, for for wow. 15 months. <laughs> and wow. And then for another year at Paramount, like we were, they're working with them as they were like going in circles trying to like you know they had the paranormal thing down so they right. they they were really focused on it but yeah it was so many crazy stories with that movie like uh how it took off and kind of just you know grabbed a lot of people's attention um and we knew when we were making it because it wasn't with like a studio and we didn't have a bunch of money behind it that we kind of were like yeah we could take crazier chances with the movie which some people appreciate and some people hate, right. you know, but <laughs> I'm much, I mean, I'd much rather a movie be divisive and, and like split audiences, you know, to where there people either love it or hate it and kind of down the middle. And I've had all things and the new movies kind of like that too. Some people love it. And then some people are like, don't get it at all. But, um, but I love that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's much more fun. Right. That's it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Brent, before we dive into your most recent horror film with a great twist, I have to ask you about The Boy. I saw it in theaters myself. I thought it had great marketing. You know, I remember uh, superstars like Sean Mendez tweeting about it and how crazy the twist was. Can you tell us about your time making that movie? Uh, I thought Lauren Cohan was fantastic in it. I, I really enjoyed that movie, and I did not see the twist coming. Can you just tell us about your time making that movie? Yeah, that was great. I mean, that was the first time I had ever um, been presented with, like, a script. And um, and my writing partner and I, who we had done three movies and then so many movies and tv shows that you never saw that never got made um he kind of took off to woodstock and kind of checked out and um so the boy was the first time i did a movie with 
you know, like strangers sort of, not all my friends. And so it was a challenge, you know, kind of like faced it like that on purpose. And, um, and like the, my first hire was Daniel Pearl, you know, who shot Texas Chainsaw Massacre and right. um, the, the original and the 2003 remake and, um, and every music video you've ever heard of, you know, from November <laughs> right. Rain to Billy Jean, every breath you take, like he just was this pioneer. So um, it was just the kind of movie that, you know, contained and and i felt like for the amount of money we had it's like the script was so great i mean i remember reading the script and it's like watching the movie you know for you guys maybe um where i was like two-thirds of the way through i'm like all right where's this going because is this dog gonna start running around killing everybody like is that what's happening and <laughs> the twist you know that it was a it was a guy and um and then i just immediately called the guys and i was like yeah i want to do it and that was you know, that was kind of the funnest thing about it in a way was was ensuring that that twist worked and came out of nowhere. You know, right. a big part of that was the fact that the studio kept it a secret. We didn't have it on the call sheets. Nobody knew anything about it. it you know, the trailer, everything had to be. And we knew this before we shot the movie. Like we'd already written the scripts for the trailer. The trailer had to be good on its own without giving away kind of the best part of the movie, maybe. Right. And um and Orphan was the same thing, you know? It was like, the trailer's still got to be great, even though if you see a trailer that gives away the twist, it's an even, it's a really fun trailer. I mean, it really, but it, you know, it makes the viewing experience uh, less shocking and less less fun and interactive. Oh, yeah, so, oh, um, I didn't know Sean Mendez, like, uh, commented on the boy. But it was it was great. I mean, it was just like, an amazing experience all the way around. And I, and pretty much, you know, I don't have any complaints about like the way it turned out, which isn't normal, but um, you know, it's just like, all right, yeah, that worked the way we wanted it to work. And, um, and it's kind of stood the test of time sort of, you know, it's a bit of a, Oh yeah. A movie that kind of is a bit timeless, you know? Um, Yeah. <laughs> so let's just yes, get right into it. Let's let's get into uh, you know, the Orphan First Kill. You know, like 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 Devin, Devil Inside, the original Orphan has such a big following, you know. How were you uh, approached to take this on and and were you uh were you a big fan of the original when you were asked? I was a huge fan of the original. And I mean, I saw it in theaters and even to the point to where it was like like I think I came on to that movie 3 years ago, about 3 years ago. But um, when, about a year before that, so say four years ago, I watched the movie again. And a lot of times when I'm watching a movie, like for me going into a movie theater is where sometimes I have the most ideas. And I would always bring a pad of paper and a pen that had a light on the end of it so that I could like write down ideas because it was just like such a calming place to be. So I would find myself, now it's like I use the notes app on the phone and stuff. It's not quite as, I don't know, it's not as good maybe. But um, <laughs> I watched Orphan and I found myself taking notes throughout the whole thing. And um, just about like everything they were doing in that original film. And and then nine months later, I was talking to the producers actually about Lord and Miss Rule. And, um, and then they sent me, the script and they're like, you know, we'd love you to take a look at the, at the 
script for um, an orphan prequel. And, and I'm like, ah, that's a great title and a great original, but you know, it's a lot to live up to uh, both the movie itself. And then the twist is so much to live up to. And then like how, how do you recast Isabel Furman really? Cause she was so kind of iconic. And, um, but when I read it, once again, it was, you know, very much like the movie. And, uh, and I was like, oh, wow. Like you guys uh, nailed it with the twist. So, so, um, so I immediately called and said, yeah, I'm in. And we had a meeting probably, you know, that Monday. Um, and then it became like, yeah, how do we, how do we, fill the shoes of Isabel Furman um, with another child actor and uh, which seemed more as daunting as, you know, yeah, get over the first hurdle. You wrote a really cool script, but you know, that's kind of like finding lightning in a bottle to find another kid like her, which of course, ultimately didn't, we didn't, we didn't. (laughs) Right. And yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. Um, you know, obviously you talked about it. The original is known for that huge twist. I mean, was that, was that in any way kind of an overwhelming thing to take on? I mean, did, did you feel like in a little bit of, you had to, you had to top that in a way? You know, I, since I didn't write it, it was, you know, I got to experience it, you know, in the script and it was like, okay, yeah, this works. And, um, so then the challenge is just making sure that, it works in the story and that all the misdirects work and, and they're all airtight so that the audience, even a really smart audience member who's paying attention, doesn't guess where it's going, you know, or how it's going to go there. And um, so that's just fun. I mean, that's just a great, cool challenge of a movie. Uh, And so much of it too was, was, you know, having a cast like we had, which I think lived up to the cast of the first film. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so this is kind of an odd question for you. Um, you know, there's a lot of franchises that, you know, when you, when you watch the movies, you know, and I like to watch the movies this way, you like to watch them in chronological order, not release order. Yeah. And, you know, and I kind of feel like personally that that would really kind of be hard to do with this franchise now. Um, yeah. You know, what do you tell fans that maybe haven't seen either one of them and, and, and we'll give them a watch after listening to the, you know, maybe listening to us, listening to this podcast, will you tell them to start with your movie uh, or the original? I would definitely tell them to start with the original. Um, you know, obviously a big part of what's fun about the original is is the reveal that she's, you know, an adult pretending to be a child. And um which is a given in the in our prequel, you know, we get that out of the way quickly so that you know, when we meet her, we're meeting a woman, you know, we're meeting an adult right. who just happens to be small um and is not trying to look like a child. But um yeah, I would definitely watch the first one and then come back to watch this one, even though, like you said, it's not really chronological order. Right. So some people with OCD, I'm just going, it's going to, it's going to mess with you, but you definitely watch them in this order. Well, it's going to mess with you for a lot of reasons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's true. She definitely, if you compare her, you know, side by side with hers, a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old, you know, you're going to get caught up yeah. in that, but it's, you know. Well, okay, so you touched on it. Let's let's get into that twist. You know, s- since the movie has has finally been released, I mean, you can talk a little yeah. bit about that. Um, we haven't even discussed, you know, the amazing Julia Stiles yet. Uh, can you talk a little bit about bringing Julia on as Trisha and this, you know, this amazing twist? 
you know, since you can finally talk about it, you know, what went into it? Did Julia have any thoughts uh, uh, about it or anything like that? Julia, I mean, I think this is, that's one of the main reasons she wanted to do the movie was because it just surprised the hell out of her when she read it. And, um, and I thought that like, you know, she was just going to be perfect to carry the role, you know, um, and then be able to shift after we find out that really she's, you know, the worst of the two of them. Um, Cause that was kind of the, the idea of the movie was like, um, yes. What if this psychopath, you know, um, woman, Esther is adopted, you know, what if she's adopted by a family that's even more evil than she is? Like what happens then? And a lot of times we talked about that twist kind of, it kind of allowed Patricia, um, Julia's role. She kind of is teaching Esther how to be a better sociopath, you know, over the course of the movie, um, <laughs> giving her a lot of, you know, and um, to where it's like, if you watch the movie, you know, you can see that she's kind of stumbling through it a little bit, Esther. She's not quite as confident as she was <clears throat> in the original film. And, you know, and that's a lot because of that. It's like she, she learned from the, her mistakes in this movie, you know, so she wouldn't make those same mistakes twice. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a similar twist as the boy in a way. I don't mean like story-wise, but like uh, to be able to kind of trick audiences, yeah. and, you yeah. know, and, and lead them down a path and um, have fun with it. But this is so much different, you know, because sometimes you have a twist like Sixth Sense, one of the most famous twists. Right. It happens right at the end of the movie. And then it gives you a different context. You look back and go, oh, wait a minute. And now you understand. It's like an answer to the whole film. Um, and then a twist like, say, the boy happens right before the finale and and you've led yourself throughout the whole film. And, and now you're like, oh, now the finale's like twisted on its head. This isn't this is a twist, but it's more of a turn, you know, yes. because it's it's two movies. And um, you're right. And I think in actuality, like we cut quite a bit out of the beginning because that twist could have either been a midpoint twist it could have been a twist at the end of the second act or a twist at the end of the movie. And, um, and you know, what I think people respond to, and I know we did most about this movie, was this story of these two women kind of who put themselves in this ring to one-up each other and they're kind of trapped there. And, um, and like, what are they going to do? And um, so in a way... The twist could have even probably happened 10 minutes earlier, in which case we would have really leaned into that storyline even more. Um, some people feel like that's rushed and some people feel like uh, it's the other way around. But that's kind of the fresh movie, you know, because the, the movie leading up to it, leading up to the twist, is kind of a rehash of the original, you know, by design to where right. you feel like ah, I'm just watching the same movie again, sort of a, a little bit. It's a little bit different point of view because you were in on the secret. but. Um, but then after that is, you know, it's been so fun watching. Like we, we, me and the writer and the producers, like we went around to so many theaters to watch audiences reactions. In particular, we would show up right before the twist. And, and what was fun about it isn't just that people were taken off guard by the twist, but it seemed to take about five minutes for people to really 
understand like wait a minute like what is actually happening now in this movie (laughs) and it's been great watching people's reaction i mean people say their jaws on the floor literally if i'm watching like you guys doing a reaction video watching the movie you see people and their mouth is just open and and it's it's fucking hilarious it's um (laughs) and it's just you know that's what makes movies fun is when you can be surprised or yeah. have an experience and that's a very shared experience with anybody who's seen that movie and um i was talking to blumhouse um two days ago and you know i think uh, cooper who's the president he was like yeah three people have come up and like pitched me the whole plot of the movie and i had to stop them and say i've seen it and and i loved it but it's like um it's uh you know, it's a shared experience that we'll all kind of remember when you see something that kind of shocks you like that. Or, or, oh, absolutely. or so that's yeah, great to be a part of something like that. Yeah, I was definitely in that, uh, that uh, group of people that were a little bit hesitant when I heard about the first, like a prequel. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and you thought, okay, we're just kind of get to get the same. We already know what's going to happen. You know, so I was super shocked when that happened. Like, I, I loved it. It's yeah. It's crazy to me that people even knowing that there's going to be a twist, um, or like you said, they're going, you know, like live tweeting. You know, they'll be like, "Okay, forty minutes in, eh, it's okay. I've seen it before." And then it's just like, "Just wait," you know. And then like fifty-five <laughs> minutes in, they're like, "What the fuck just happened? What is going on? I love this movie. This is crazy." It's it's like it's like clockwork to just go, just wait, just give it five more minutes. And then, you know, what is your opinion going to be? Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, a- absolutely. I'm in the same camp as Brian. You know, I was a big fan of the original orphan movie, but when I saw, you know, uh, Isabel post that another one was coming out, I was like, how are they going to do this? But I-, I said, you know, in our review, like I'm so happy that this movie wasn't like the first one. Cause I didn't want to see another orphan movie. I thought this yeah. movie was more fun and the twist was great. You know, I kind of got it spoiled a little bit on Facebook. You know, it was my fault for looking through comments, but I watched <laughs> the movie with my girlfriend as well. And she was like, oh, shit, it's the mom. <laughs> so that was great. I loved it. Uh, and great and, you approach know, and, to and, with it being more fun. And, well, yeah, you know, because it's like she's, she doesn't, you know, enjoy having to dress up like a kid and put on put in pigtails, you know, and she wants a shot of vodka or she wants to, um just be free from where she was she was imprisoned at the beginning of the movie so it's it's and it's yeah it was interesting trying to find that balance of it being you know there were times it was like i can become a parody of itself as well you know it it was it was fun finding that balance and um i was really happy with the way it turned out as far as yeah you definitely did that oh yes sir uh, now we have to talk about isabel son you know we just brought her up she's one of my favorite women in horror in general my favorite female villains or just villains in general. She's one of my favorites. I was wondering what went into your thought process on trying to make Isabel Furman younger without using, you know, just nothing but CGI. Like a lot of movies and TV shows are going out now. Did Isabel have any hesitations at all when you guys approached her about a prequel? It was the other way around. Like um, we were working on it for a few months and it was more just focused on the script and not uh, casting. And, um, and then when we announced the movie, she was like, she she messaged me on Instagram and we didn't know each other. And um and she's like, I'm so excited for you guys making the movie. Um 
and and I was I had a, I was having a screening that night, and I was like, "Hey, come meet me um, at the screening," and uh, and she showed up, and you know, she looks she looks very much the same, you know, um, just a little bigger, and um, and then she she was the one she was like, "I just want you to know, you know, like I want to I I don't want anybody else to play this character. I want to play it," and. And so then we met the next day and went through the script and then kind of came up with a strategy. Cause when I saw her, I was like, Oh, this is totally doable. Like I did another movie where it was a werewolf film and, and the guy he's tall, but not as tall as we made him feel in the movie. So it was the same kind of techniques. And then anytime we do a movie, we always are usually we're trying to make, especially the uh, actresses, you know, look good. And um, right. so whether it be lighting and camera angles or, or how we, how we, manipulate things in the color. Um, so it was like, yeah, we can use these same tools to make her feel small. And when you're, when you're shooting with a child, you don't have much time and we have to use body doubles all the time anyway. And we have to have stunt doubles. And now it's like, well, she can do a lot of her own stunts and, and there's no time limits. I mean, there was so many positives to her doing it. Um, and we knew we'd be using some digital, we'd lean into some digital CGI stuff when we needed to, you know, right. And, um, to sell the idea, like, holy, but she, yeah, she was a hundred percent. And everybody was excited about the idea that they just weren't convinced we could do it, you know, unless we had another zero on the end of our budget. And even then I've never really seen it done successfully for an entire film. Right. Um, like I think stranger things they they did it really well this season with her being small, but you know, she didn't move, you know, she, right. She had short hair. She just stood there. And it's like, once you add everything into a performance, it's, um, it just would have been, and it would have been really hard on the other actors to have to shoot a movie with, um, by trying to use too much CGI and like trying to put her face onto a, a body double or something to where she's off camera. So it was great that everybody, it, it was, I was really appreciative of the fact that the producers and the studio like allowed us to do the movie and these, these kind of old school techniques. Cause we knew it wouldn't be perfect. Um, but nothing is sort of, and it's like, but it's so much more effective to me and exciting oh, yeah. to know oh. that it's, that it's really her and she's really getting to play off the other actors. And so, um, it was something we were really, you know, of course we were worried about, but by and large, even people, I mean, it's very easy to critique the movie and go, she doesn't look 11. It's like, well, she's not 11. She's 31, you know, but, um, <laughs> but I get it, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it's an easy critique, but at the same time, it's like Superman can't fly. Like there's a million examples right. that aren't real in a movie, but if you can get past that and just enjoy it, and if you really are a fan of hers, it's like, give her credit for, you know, to me, I never would have asked her to do it or never would have tried to convince her to do it because it's like, that's a, her legacy sort of. I mean, she really right. it came onto the scene as this child uh, actor and to screw that up by coming back and playing the part again would have been really unfortunate. And so she, she risked a lot to, to give it a shot. Well, everybody we spoke to 
has said nothing but just amazing things about how you pulled that off and how how good she looked and how I mean nobody that I know of was talking about you know an uncanny valley that you would get or or you know anything yeah. like that I mean it was nothing but praise so I, I think that I think you you definitely pulled that off it was and I'll tell you something funny it was like uh, the head of Paramount who's not there right now, anymore but he was kind of the champion of the movie when they bought the film and. Um, and I, when I talked, first time I talked to him about it, he was like, because he was Warner Brothers initially, and or you know, fifteen years ago, right? And it took him a long time to get the rights to be able to make this movie, and uh, and he he was like, yeah, I was like, why in the world are we getting an opportunity to buy Orphan? Like, why didn't Warner Brothers make it? And he was like, and then I was like, yeah, of course they didn't make it because she's an adult now. So they were like, yeah, you can't make that movie. And he was like, and you guys made it with her. And he was like, that was you know, like those people are kicking themselves, you know, like it's, it's, and it didn't even cross our mind necessarily at first. It just was, I just kept kicking it down the road. Um, kind of going, yeah, let's get the script in shape first and then deal with like how we're going to approach her. Right. Before we move on to, you know, how the shoot went, I just have to say, yeah. uh, you know, I saw some like behind the scenes photos of like where the other actors and actresses had these giant boots on. So they'd look taller yeah. than Isabel. I thought that was incredible. And I just have to say that I'm so happy you you guys did get Isabel to come back on, you know, to be Esther one more time. Uh, Cause she's kind of like Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Like, I don't think anybody could have filled her shoes. And I don't think I would have liked the movie as much, just being honest, because she is Esther. I'm sure that makes you know sense to everybody because that's her role. And I'm glad that she loved that role so much. She wanted to come back. I mean, she Instagram DM'd you. So, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. just glad that she loves that role and doesn't like, because, you know, a lot of actors, actresses, you know, they don't really care about their some of their earlier work. But I'm, I'm just happy that she loves that role. And it, it means a lot to me because I like that movie a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, if she would have been on set and I would have expected at any point, like, and kind of second guessed herself or doubted, like, what am I doing? Because usually in a movie, if it stars a little kid, you might have body doubles who are a lot bigger than them walking around stunt doubles for certain things. And it's kind of funny. But in this case, we had, you know, two body doubles and a stunt double who were all tiny. And then you had the lead actress walking around in these over, you know, in these dressed like a child. And it's like, it would have been very easy for her or anybody to be like, this is silly. How am I going to do this? But because she believed in it so much and never doubted it, it just gave everybody else permission to not doubt it either, you know, and then do their job at, they're the highest level, you know? So um, it is cool. And, and she's still excited about doing more of these movies. And it's like, you know, there's no reason she can't play this character forever. If she wants to now, like if we get, if this worked well enough, it's only going to get better. And, right. um, and if she knows it works, it's, you know, of course it's just all about scripts and stuff at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I was a fan of the first one too. So I'm a fan of the fact that she wanted to do it. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh, Brent, can you tell us a little about the shoot? You guys filmed in the dead of winter in Winnipeg, which sounds kind of miserable, honestly, because I don't like the cold. <laughs> was this a hard <laughs> shoot for you and the actors? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? It was the hardest shoot. It was really pleasant. I mean, I, I really, it was a real positive experience, but it was the hardest shoot. It was, um, I mean, not only were we, doing a prequel and we didn't have all that much money 
it was like height of COVID. So we were one of the first movies back. Pretty much any main person on the crew, they hadn't, hadn't shot a movie in a year, you know? So this was, everybody was like, I'm going to give it a shot. Same thing with the actors. They were like coming back to making movies again. And then there were no vaccinations or anything like that. So it was totally like rolling the dice, it felt like. And I had to wear two masks. They had to make, they made us wear goggles like these. Oh, wow. And um, which were, didn't do anything really. But, and in particular, they were like, you know, wear these goggles because you set a, you set an example for the rest of the crew who, if they don't want to wear them. And if you don't wear them, then they won't wear them. So I did. And, um, you know, so actors couldn't see my face, you know, and, and, um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the coldest cities in the world or, or, or mm. civilized cities. So we would be shooting night shoots outside and it oh. would be negative 15 degrees. And oh, God. that's not like, there's nothing, you can't hop, run from that. It is no. so cold that mm. you, and um, the masks actually were kind of good because the breath of your breath kept you warmer. And, sure. um, but at the end of the day, it was super fun. I mean, and if you see any behind the scenes stuff, you see like kind of how much fun it was. And, and really that once again, came down to her. Um, and then just, uh, the, you know, there, there wasn't a shot. There was, you know, there were a couple scenes that were normal. I mean, I mean like two um, or something, everything else was like a magic trick of some sort. And, right. um, and we used, you know, every kind of technique, you possibly could to make her seem smaller or younger or everybody else around her. And, and um, you mentioned the Gene Simmons boots, but um, at first, you know, we were building platform like ramps and all these elaborate things. And I had used Gene Simmons boots when I did wear and he walked around, you know, when we didn't see his feet, he was in these big boots. And is this easy? Cause you can move everywhere. And eventually, after the first week, the cast agreed to wear them. Uh, I think they felt like they would look, you know, ridiculous, and they did. But <laughs> I mean, and, and these boots had tassels, and they were like bedazzled, like they weren't just like black film boots. They were really funny looking. But you know, they they got it, and then they they just and now I even watch the movie and I forget that they're walking around, you know, <laughs> like that. But. Um, you know, getting back and we edited the movie, the same thing. It was, it was all, it was like this. It was like the editor, we, we only when I finished the first cut, were we allowed to even be in the same room. And at that point it was like four people on an entire floor of an editing production company. So, so we never got to like, you know, it was just a lot, a lot trickier and it's, it's um, pretty amazing that that stuff is knock on wood, like becoming, something of the past because it seemed for a while there that we'd be making every movie with COVID restrictions and masks and all this stuff. And it's really, you know, makes it difficult. It's tricky. Oh, I can imagine Brent, you know, we're about to let you go, but before you do, what is coming up for William Brent Bell? You just delivered your new film, Lord of Misrule. Obviously you can't say too much about that, but the amazing Ralph Innocent is in it. Can you talk a little about that and anything else you have on the horizon? Maybe you want to shout out social media or anything? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, um, my name, I think. But, um, you know, yeah, Lord of Misrule, we, we shot that, like, right when I finished um, 
Esther or Orphan First Kill. Um, it was called Esther originally. Um, oh, really? I went to London. Yeah. Kind of like yeah, that, When we honestly. shot it, like, yeah, it's like my hat. Says oh, Esther nice. Crew. I'll okay. send you my address and, and send me one. Yeah. <laughs> Do guy. it. No, I'll send you one. I'll send you both one. Um, hey, make that yeah. happen, Brian. <laughs> yeah, it's this. And um, these were like my gifts to the crew, like when we shot the movie. So on the last day on wrap, uh, uh, they handed these out to everybody. Oh, and um, and then, yeah, I went to London to shoot a movie, which was kind of like a dream come true. And um, And we shot pretty much the whole movie in this tiny village. And so it was like being on a the Warner Brothers backlot shooting this film in this tiny village for the village. Um, and yeah, it's like a, you know, it's a pagan horror film that's um, pretty different um, and pretty intense. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, literally, like, like you said, I mean, um, turning it in this week, like it's done, done this week. So it's been a process. So it's, I'm really proud about that. Um, and otherwise, you know, I've got, I've always got a lot of projects and um, it's really just about settling into the one that's makes the most sense and um, scratches the right itch, <laughs> you know, that I, that I'm excited <laughs> about. Um, so, uh, but all of them are just, I mean, it's not really worth talking about them yet. I don't think. Well, we'll okay, just well, have, we'll you have you come back, back on, on whenever you're ready to talk about them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Brent, I just um, want to say thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, Orphan First Kill is streaming now on Paramount+. Plus. In fact, Paramount has their new peak screaming collection for Halloween, which is also kind of cool. So go check that yeah. out. Uh, you got any final thoughts, Brent? We really appreciate your time. No, I just, you know, um, I appreciate how much you guys – love the horror space and the genre space and uh it's such a fan driven genre and um it is. and i'm just happy that this movie it orphan first kill i mean it's like it had a lot of pressure to live up to a lot of things and mm -hmm. and it's a great relief and it and and just everybody's really happy that that the audiences and the fans especially um of the original um responded to it you know in in in, in the right way because it was like super fun to make so it's 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 been great seeing that it's been super fun for people to watch oh yeah one yeah, thing i have to give you praise for before we let you go is i really like that y'all made esther more brutal or more aggressive <laughs> than the original you know she just she wasn't bullshitting around she just killed folks and, and kept it moving i like that yeah yeah i mean that's the thing that movie she's 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 trapped sort of in at this with this family and uh for me it was always like yeah there's so much building up so that when she does kill gunner or uh it you know it's like she's gonna really kill him <laughs> you know and not stop so yeah that was that was fun well thank you so much again we really appreciate your time brent all right guys thank you so much all right thank you thank very you. much this was amazing I'll talk to you. all right bye-bye awesome see you guys just want to remind everybody, don't do it out there.